Hello and welcome to this week's Statsman Podcast with me, James York, and Ted Knutson. Hey, how's it going? It's good. New recording system afoot. Let's hope it works, but we don't need to bore you with that. Um, I got the Barry White voice today. Hey, girl, you look like you had a hard day. So if I sound a little rough, I apologize, but hey, we're here podcasting. Yeah, we're having a go with our weekly podcast that we missed last week again. That's that's become a theme. <laughs> look, we're trying, and, and we'll get better about it, and we'll stop talking about it at some point, because we'll be so regular, you'll think that we're on Metamucil. But it's Tuesday today, so you're going to get an early one this week, and with, with Champions League coming and, uh, you know, plenty of football. Oh no, there's an international break for, for too long. Never mind. Boo. Don't worry about that. We'll hit some topics now. Right, where do you want to start, Ted? You wrote a little list, and uh, I've done my minor prep. Well, let's so start with some go. outliers. Yay, yeah. everybody loves outliers as football. <clears throat> so there's a kid, and uh, not really a kid, he's like 23, right? But uh, there's a kid in Genoa which sounds like it could be the start of a Shakespearean play, um, Fair Verona perhaps, um, that is scoring bucket loads. Have you heard of him before? His name's Christoph Piatek. No, I hadn't heard of him until the, this is this is Ewan's fault. Ewan in the office uh, pointed him out to me yesterday. So here we are. We've got a new a new starlet on, on the field. And he's scoring, yeah, you're right, he's scoring loads of goals. Just the six goals so far, 25 shots. Expected well, goals of 2.82. But, so here's the thing. Like, yes, he's overperforming expected goals. But he's, you know, got four and a half shots a game and his XG is over like 0.52, so half a goal a game. Uh, so he looks like he's pretty good. Somebody that might be on your radar. Not many of you necessarily pay, pay attention to Genoa, or maybe you do. We don't know. Ted, uh, forgive me. He's got eight goals. Eight goals? I'm sorry. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, That's even more than He got some in midweek, so he's, he's going even further. But like, the dude's scoring every game. This is a, well, near enough every game. We've got four in the first game. But then, yeah, one, two, nothing. One, 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 two. Yeah, I mean, this, this is... Uh, oh, yeah, the only game he missed was his, his international game. But this is you know, a great start for the kid. And uh, four goals in one Copper Italia match as well. This is a, a sterling effort. But, yeah, that, that's the thing. You know, you're looking, you're looking for stars of the future or people breaking through. Shot volume, like you say, is the one thing that you, you, you kind of... As long as some of them are in the box, that's obviously a factor too. <laughs> but for a forward, you know, that's it's pretty healthy. Um, yeah, we talked a little bit about um, the, the sort of strange stickiness of Italian clubs often and not selling their, their younger players when they get good offers. And too often, it feels like lately, they've been too sticky. Like, uh, Bellotti didn't get sold when we saw him with, like, massive amounts of, you know, potential fees offered who knows if they were real but they were probably real because there was enough noise um you know Milinkovic Savic just signed a new deal so we'll see if that was like a mistake or not or if it was you know an extension so that he leaves in the summertime at at their price but yeah you have to be really careful like with these guys you know you don't want to if they're on a hot streak and they're doing fairly well and they come to the notice of of other teams you know if you get the price that that is good but maybe not the most amazing price in the world like you should probably sell uh we'll see what happens though like obviously enjoy the season there's another kid that i want to talk about that <laughs> looks like he's already sort of one that got away but also part of that like there is a thing going on where young english players are moving to the bundesliga in germany so they get to play and it's kind of interesting because <clears throat> you know, there's there's often the media thing that, oh, well, the Premier League doesn't offer enough opportunities for young players. Well, that's true because the Premier League is wildly competitive. And in fact, young players are, have risk about them. They're usually not as seasoned or as good, especially young defenders. And 
you have to play against the best players in the world. So if in all of that cauldron, and knowing that, that the Premier League is one of the probably two best leagues in the world, it is difficult to find space for young players, not because you know they're, there's a negative stigma towards them. It's simply because things are so competitive and it's, performance is so necessary that you can't take that risk. But Bundesliga seems to have changed a little bit in recent years. They're giving more young players a, an opportunity. The league itself is not as good at the highest level. Possibly these things are correlated. Uh, you know, there's the 50 plus one thing that means that they don't have generally, you know, billionaires coming in and pumping up all these random clubs, despite the fact they might want to. Not saying that's good or bad. Plenty of people think that it's great, and I, I totally understand that. But it's open an opportunity for kids like Christian Pulisic, to some extent, uh, Weston McKinney at Schalke, and Jaden Sancho, formerly, I believe, of Watford originally, and then of the City Academy, and he's now at Borussia Dortmund, and he's leading planet Earth in assist rate. Yeah, despite only getting sub minutes at the moment. I wonder if physicality something to do with it. Like, you know, it's, 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 there's still that kind of trope that, like, you know, you need bigger guys. Get bigger, stronger guys, and you might be you might be better off. It's obviously the history of football shows that that isn't necessarily the case. But I think specifically with the Premier League, there might be a kind of like undercurrent. So if you've got a little nippy eighteen-year-old, seventeen-year-old, like yeah, he's going to get benched. He's he's probably not going to get as many starting minutes as. And of course, like there very few young young players do get starting minutes in the Premier League, and the ones that do are big outliers, and you know tend to be a Raheem Sterling's that turn into top class players you know there aren't many that um kind of come through and get significant minutes you only seem to get it if you're you know one of the top tier prospects well it's, you know, it's just it's something that gets overlooked right like if you know best league in the world means less chance for young players like these two things are highly correlated and that's just the the fact of the matter but you know you need them to continue developing and so that's a big thing for for english top academies <clears throat> They need these guys to be able to, to get playing time to, to keep their development going, usually with good coaches, which is hard to find. Like B-teams is definitely not the answer inside of England. Like the, the way that the English tree is structured and, and the lower leagues and how it works and the championship is, is a great league. Like that actually works. So, you know, being able to potentially loan them out to other clubs that you trust on the continent or whatever, that make, seems to make a bit more sense. And, you know, make no mistake about it, England is producing really good talent now. You don't want to curb that at all. You just need to find places for them to keep developing that does not look like it's going to be in the Premier League. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and there's the interesting, like, quandary between, like, well, so if the loan system changes, which which it might do, well, there's, there's talk of that, isn't there? It's, it's whether you actually loan players out or like they get sold, and there's a you know potential. I don't, I'm a bit murky around the world of buybacks, but you know there's there's always always that kind of thing, and it's yeah how you actually uh, like develop your players. You know where do they go, and how how do you kind of move them on so they get sufficient development? And it's it's funny because some of them have kind of. I think the transfer window this season just tripped everyone up, didn't it? Because someone like Tammy Abraham is a good example. Has he gone somewhere? I'm he's sure at he Villa. No, he's gone to Villa, right? But there are there were definitely players that you think could have um, potentially. It's almost like you, you you kind of move up the the, the loan uh, ladder. You know, you do say League One, you do Championship, maybe you get a lower lower uh, ranked Premier League club. And then there's a point, isn't there, where like he's a good example because he was in the Premier League last season, and it's like, well, <laughs> where do you go from here? Because again, somewhere like Chelsea's like not really 
I mean, they, they could use him, but they're less likely to than than Will. And then, so, yeah, back back to the championship point of thing. How do you actually transition to that, the championship, make that final yeah. step? The Tammy one is very frustrating because, like, basically what happens with players is you, you get promoted until you, you stop being awesome, right? <laughs> like, mm. you keep getting going up the leagues until you're, you're average. And what's weird about Abraham was, like, he was, he was basically league average output on a bad team last year. That Swansea team was not mm. good. No. Uh, didn't like to attack. The, a much better choice for him would have been potentially going somewhere like, you know, you look at the the Andre Silva deal uh, for Milan, and for whatever reason, Andre Silva, like, was loaned out this year, probably needed to make space for Higuain, etc. And he's gone to Sevilla, and he's been awesome. And that's exactly <laughs> kind of what you're looking at. You're looking for, like, a good team that's going to play real football and to continue being able to get potential playing time, and that would have been the right place for, or a type of thing for Tammy to do. Yeah, no, it is tough. It's it's almost like, yeah, I don't know. It feels like there's not enough slots for these people. But that's why, possibly, to some degree, I've got like this this new kind of like small angle. I mean, it's been going on for a year and a half, two years now. But like moving moving abroad, you know, actually taking that chance. The <laughs> Andre Silver shot chart. Oh my god! <laughs> so, this is the video part of the audio podcast that everybody else doesn't get to see. <laughs> well, yeah, he's uh. <laughs> he's, a, he's quite hot at the moment, but also getting lots of chances. So you know, it's, it's a, there's a there's a some kind of balance there. Um, right, yeah. So who should we move on to next? Well, I think we should. Our... While we're talking about sort of scoring and attacking, we should move on to who's the league leader in goals in the Premier League right now. Uh, is it Hazard or Mitrovic? One it, of them. It is Hazard. Six yeah. goals, two assists. Mitro second. Uh, with five, along with some guy named Harry Kane and some other scruff named uh, uh, Sergio. We mention him today. Eh? <laughs> hey, two goals on the weekend. Penalties are shots, Ted. This is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> it all counts. <laughs> but anyway, moving quickly on. But so the reason why I bring up Hazard is because like we haven't really spent much time on Chelsea, and we kind of forgot about it in the last pod. But like, they're a complicated team. Uh, what's your what's your read on on Chelsea so far under like sorry ball? I really like it because it it just fascinates me. Um, like it's a whole new way of playing for a team that's been like super defensive for like the last two managers going back about four or five seasons. And so you've got players like Hazard and William and such who who obviously look like uh, you know real attacking stars, and they get and they've finally got the chance to kind of give their give them their head and actually. You know, hey, play football, guys. It's it's um, nice to see Willian released, isn't it? Like he's he, he yeah. has so much more freedom now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting how it sets up. So much chat about Conte, and you know, I completely understand uh, that. It's it was just so. I watched the West Ham game, and like Willian just didn't seem to want to pass to Conte at all. And but Conte kept making these advanced runs and dragging defenders out and stuff. So it was like, what's going on here? You just want to get into the mind of like. Like ask Sari, like you know, are they doing this deliberately? Is, is this your strategy, or you know, are they just <laughs> does does William just not want to pass the Conte out well, the pitch? I think it it also shows kind of the difficulty in in building a squad, right? Um, and, and a squad to a style. You can't just come in and expect that the squad will fit the new manager's style. Like even somewhere like Liverpool that had a lot of good talent, or Chelsea who won won the league, you know, just two years ago, right? Um, you know it. A talented squad doesn't necessarily fit their new manager, and that's just a fact of life. And so it takes time to turn this back over. 
Chelsea do have a talented squad. We said this preseason. We thought the squad was, you know, good enough to do all sorts of things and I might be getting slightly underestimated. But the the issue here is that Sarri wants to play kind of a, a Jorginho Radista behind him. Jorginho is, is an amazing high-volume passer, like leads um, yeah, tons of deep progressions, and, and that's like fairly impressive, right? But he's not creating chances. He's not the guy. He's the guy that moves it into the zone for other people to create chances. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, you take the guy that's the best defensive midfielder in the world, and you basically have put him as an eight so that he can press. And that's fine. Up until the point that you're in attack and you need that eight to also be able to create and score goals. And that's where Conte falls down a little bit. And it's not his fault. It's just the fact that Chelsea's midfield is slightly unbalanced. And games against teams like a West Ham that are going to be very defensively rigid. Maybe you need to have a Fabregas and a, and a Kovacic or a Barkley and a Kovacic potentially to help you know pull, pull those teams out of shape. As opposed to having Conte there. And you know it's nice that you have this guy that has this amazing lead skill set that is slightly kind of out of place, but doesn't fit the system perfectly. It is, you know, Chelsea have tons of money. They have tons of kids that they could also, you know, Ruben Loftus-Cheek could be part of that as well as, as an eight group. Um, but yeah, it's, it doesn't quite fit. And, and Conte's the, the weird oddity there. But my question kind of about Chelsea is, are they fun? Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I keep, they keep reminding me of Vyash Boas, not Vyash Boas at Chelsea, but Vyash Boas at Tottenham. We had all this sterile possession, and quite often it ended up with long shots. And, and they, I mean, they were interesting to watch because they had Bale that was the, was the kind of um, the trigger to all the fun. And you could say like Hazard's kind of the trigger to the fun with this Chelsea team. Um, and he's a, a little hot with his goals, but you would still expect him to to score more and get more chances I'm not sure if he ever will he's, he's, he's the kind of player that will always like create or look to create and I'm not sure like you know if he's ever really going to get in the centre of the box and finish off finish off chances well Hazard uh, Hazard's that type of guy I mean he's got Alas two penalties Salar or someone yeah he's got Go two on. penalties out of his six so you know he's mm. got four four goals um that we would count for non-penalty goals. And he's kind of got a spot, like you can see on a shot chart, that, that spot just to the left of the, the corner of the six-yard box as he comes in. But his skill set actually has made us change st- stats and data, how we evaluate the game, because he's the guy that really moves the ball. He's a, he's a progressor in a lot of different ways. It, most seasons, it doesn't necessarily show up uh, on the, the stat sheet, especially in, in goal scoring but he is elite at doing a number of things that are very valuable, but sometimes are tough to pick up statistically. Um, so I think Chelsea are actually like really interesting. They're not always fun, but they're certainly more fun than they were in the past. And maybe they're on <laughs> yeah. their way to being very fun. It just takes a, another season to, to kind of revamp this team and this squad so that they fit Sari's ideal a little better. Yeah, I mean, some people might find the, the relentless possession slightly dull. I, I'm fine with it. I mean, you know, Man City have perfected it, obviously. Um, I feel like Chelsea, Chelsea are on their way there. It, it genuinely interests me now that we've got, I think Man United are probably the only top six team now that don't kind of play with a similar kind of outlook of, of like heavy possession and, um, you know, looking to kind of strangulate the opposition. I think you know, Ar- well, <laughs> Arsenal are still a work in progress, but they're still very enough... optimistic on, on Arsenal right now. <laughs> no, but if you, if you look at the if you look at the way they're attempting to play, like the 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 five teams that aren't Man United look like they're on. You know, 
they're in a similar quadrant of the chart, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. with variously different effectiveness. And that's that's interesting because we've had, you know, kind of predominance towards uh, defensiveness with Chelsea for so long. So to see to see them kind of like reject the bad old ways and come to the 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 new way is it is fun and it means, you know, when these teams do face off that you you know, you get quite an interesting clash of styles. Like, um, I didn't actually see the Liverpool Chelsea game, I was out, but um you know, I think it was the first time that Chelsea hadn't like had like nearly all of the ball, and you know Liverpool slightly edged the you know the kind of possession numbers and whatever it was, and it's just like yeah, it's interesting when when they actually like you know they can't just dominate a weaker side and you know how they actually deal with that and and that's going to be the crux. I mean, look at it. You know, Chelsea, Liverpool, and Man City. Uh, just just look like very good sides this season. They are going to win most of their games, and the, m- the matches between them and the other bigger sides will be absolutely crucial. That said, that's something we're going to come on to. I don't know. We can maybe go on to it now. Hang on. How I'm going to do something that's going to get me in trouble with Chelsea fans. So if, you, <laughs> if you're in Golo Conte and you're kind of stuck in this eight role, do you move to PSG in the summer? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. You're like, look, I respect this guy. I've done my best, but I'm not an eight. And if Jorginho's your guy, I need to move someplace where I'm loved. I can be loved at PSG. They would love me with a lot of money. It just depends, like, how... I mean, it, he could evolve and, and, and like... I mean, he's getting in positions for shots I'm, I'm not saying that he doesn't have the ability... He hasn't kind of shown it. He could grow into it. He is a great player. Right, you're just you're just watching. You just want someone just with the just with the the soft kind of passing skills to to like you know find little angles that in that position. And I just don't feel like he's he's quite got that. But yeah, it's interesting because like that then you're kind of like committing to Sari, aren't you? You're presuming that Sari's had a good season and that Chelsea are going to stick with him and they're going to stick with that style because you know I think he's only is he 27 maybe coming 28. He's not done. No, <laughs> no, no he's not done. It's not I, like you got I a 30 year old that you're lovable, flipping a coin. I want the most lovable player out of the French World Cup team. To, to be in a place where he can excel. That's all they want. That's, is that so wrong? All right, here's a, here's a random fact. That's <laughs> related, re, completely random fact related, because I looked at it the other day and it's probably changed a bit. England's World Cup squad, outfielders, right? They've played literally about half the available minutes uh, that they could have this season. So, yeah, people in World Cup squads don't always get on the pitch. I'm, I'm like scratching my head over here. You probably can hear it as my mic picks it up. I'm like, I... <laughs> Don't fully understand that, but all right. No, literally a bunch of substitutes. The, the England's heroes of the of the summer. They're basically a bunch of like uh, first team subs. It's uh, kind of weird. Harry Maguire has two goals. Harry Maguire, I think Harry Maguire, Kane, and oh, I can't remember one of them has like played literally every minute they could. But one of, one of, of those might need to play fewer minutes. Well, yeah. <laughs> mm. Clearly, this is just about rotation, and the managers have seen that they've had a tough time in emotional exactly. summer. They, they might have come back a little bit. They might have given some more beat time. We don't know, James. There's no correlation here. Come on. Anyway, I dive, I divert. But yeah, it was interesting to me. What's next? I get interested in these little things. Well, we can go to Man City, can't we? Sure. Well. Like, you know, everyone knows Man City are good. Everyone knows Man City are, you know, the best team in the league. Even in an era of good Liverpool and probably good Chelsea they're still heavy favourites and well why are they heavy favourites because they're absolutely crushing it at the moment the numbers are obscene they were obscene last year Ted. Yeah, no, I think they, well, I mean, they were obscene. better now and, and <laughs> so the Pugsley the Pugsley element of this podcast the historic ghost of Benjamin Pugsley 
would come in and he'd say, oh, yeah, this are, always happens, you know, until, like, the Champions League really starts to bite and the games build up and everything like that. Like, they do just destroy teams for a long time. But, like, we're looking at an expected goals number difference that is more than two and a half a game. Yeah, that's <laughs> absolutely wild. You know, you just can't... Like, the short, the short totals as well, they're taking, like... I'll just run through it because it is crazy. Like 17, 32, 18, 24, 28, 21, 28. Literally, that's their shot totals. They're still they're averaging right around 25 shots a yeah. match in attack. Yeah, and they're scoring plenty to go with it, obviously. And they're allowing barely anything. And literally, you know, every game, they've had a soft schedule. We'll give they have that, had a soft know. schedule. All right, so let's let's be fair on that one. Brighton, Cardiff, Fulham, the squishy underside of Fulham, uh, Newcastle... Wolves at Wolves, so that was a little tough. But Huddersfield as well, and then the early season might of Arsenal. So like, yeah, it it is soft. It will regress a bit, but Jesus, like this is stumpy. And I remember last year, I got in so much trouble saying early season, this team, this Pep team, looked like his best historic Barcelona teams without Messi. Like he was doing it without Messi. They were that dominant. They were just going through the league and wiping everybody out out to the side. Now, here's the thing, and we have a lot of Liverpool fans that actually listen to this pod. We're not saying you guys are not awesome. You are. Your your stats look like you're awesome, and we're all like you've had a fairly difficult schedule comparatively. But you know, and we're not saying you can't win the league because you could. Like things happen, and and City have a little bit of fragility in their midfield right now. Uh, somebody. <laughs> Somebody on Twitter was like, who's this low-rent Kevin De Bruyne blonde kid? <laughs> he, he looks like he does all the things that De Bruyne does, but you know, someone's tinted his hair a different color. Like, that's Zinchenko. He's real good, too. Uh, so, like, you know, City have the, the incredible depth to be able to, to cope without what the guy that everybody considered was pretty much their best player last year. Um, you know, they've got the, the wing speed and pace and Sané and Sterling, along with Aguero, who's, like, always eternally underrated. Um, but yeah, those numbers are, are stupidly good, and we'll keep an eye on them, but it doesn't look like they've they've faded at all. Now, alongside this question, though, I have to ask this, because like I saw Oliver Oliver K at the Times, I think, um, talk about how we're in we're now in an era where like the elite have so far separated from the rest of the league that you know it's the gap is bigger than ever. Do you believe that? Hmm. Not really. I think the gaps have always been there. The gap from who to who is sort of the question, right? It's a little open-ended. The yeah, gap I from think City so. to everybody last year was 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 different, and that wasn't really the elite. That was that was City to like all of the teams that also have a lot of money. Uh, but the rest of the league seems to be like better than it has been before, and it's more competitive, deeper for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I I would agree with that. I think I still think that, you know that, that we'll we'll see as the season wears on that the, the top six will retain retain their top sixness. Um, Used to be but, a top four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's there you go. That's a little bit more depth. Um, but then you've got interesting teams like Wolves who who could possibly kick upwards a little, you know, and shown, you know, I mean, they're they're a complete random factor because, you know. They've got no kind of heritage in in this league, and have spent a load of money and got good players, and have had a good start. Um, no recent heritage. No, no. I mean, 
You know who's <laughs> yeah. not going to kick up this season at the moment is Fulham, who I was like, oh, I think they're probably the seventh best team. James, James sort of took the, the bullet on Bournemouth last week. I'll, or last time, I'll take the bullet on Fulham here. Now, the only thing that I have is like a saving grace here is like I do think their squad is really good. And Djokovic, every single year that I've watched him at that, like almost in the championship period, like he's come on late and his teams do well in the second half of the year, particularly. Uh, Fulham last year looked like a league average team for like the first third of the the championship season so the question is you know are they going to recover i still have some belief there but you know. <laughs> and you just stop shipping bloody so many shots though that's the the old the old thing yeah you know seven seventeen shots against per game <laughs> yeah you need to bring that down a little bit you know, a little not, bit you're not burnley you're not sean dice you can't do wild things with this but um sean dice is two points ahead of them back-to-back wins yeah the I warlock mean, like I I'm just thinking back at you know to what your original question was. Um, like Chelsea when Mourinho's turned up there for first year, they absolutely crushed the league. Um, there's there's always one or two teams like Man United season after season. Arsenal, you know, when they were good, there's always a couple of teams that that make you know dominate. You know, the Leicester season was the one season where none of the big teams got their acts together, and that you know, didn't happen that long ago. No, it didn't, and it's it's funny to think that how how quickly we've transitioned into a a kind of accepted orthodoxy of uh, like you know what we see in this league and it, we should probably warn against becoming complacent about thinking that things can never change and you know Alan Pardew's Newcastle can't come fifth and that kind of you know <laughs> nonsense but um that was a total fluke <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's always there's always an option that one of these things can happen to be fair though you know currently Manchester United are 10th in the table and Everton formerly of the superior seven that was coined by someone else are 11th at the moment and fun <laughs> but that's pretty much as dominant as you can label them <clears throat> and yeah, it's in- interesting. Like Ever- again, like some of these teams that they're they're a work in progress. You know, Everton and Chelsea, like good examples. New managers, new systems. Where do they go? F- you know, where do they go from here? Can they kick upwards? Can they sell? Like Arsenal, even you know, Arsenal's numbers look. We were going to come to this, weren't we? We could maybe come uh, to it now. now. James, you're an expert at segues, and then saying that this is a segue. You could just be <laughs> as smooth as you could possibly be, and you'd be like, oh, and we should switch to this topic now since we're talking about Arsenal. <laughs> Well, so yeah, it's Arsenal. the only thing that holds you back from being a professional radio host. Let's be honest. Uh, yeah, there's a few other things, but we won't. We don't need to highlight all my ticks to <laughs> to, to the loyal listeners who are sick of them already. But anyway, Arsenal, um, Unai Emery's Arsenal. It's again like we, we you kind of forget, forgave their numbers early on because they had horrible matches, and five wins, that's fine. five wins on two losses, and you kind of. It feels like it hasn't moved round enough since then, and like the last two matches they've won both times at was it Everton and Watford? I think they're both two 0 weren't they at home? But they're taking nine shots at home to Everton and taking nine shots at home to Watford. I just don't like that. Okay, that's just that's, that's not, not the part f- that scares the bejesus out of me <laughs> in the Arsenal. <laughs> so I don't like the attack, Ted. <laughs> the the part that scares me is the one and a half goals against and expected goals. Um, yeah. And, Petr Cech, as hard as we've been on him a bit, and mostly hard because of the passing, and like he's just been prone to clangers this last season. Like I'm, I'm on the, <laughs> I'm, I'm clearly on the passing back to the goalkeeper is generally the right option, and and teams have been fine about managing the risk to this until it goes back to Petr Cech, in which case I'm scared shitless <laughs> because I've seen him ship goals from there, like straight to Zesk Fabregas among others. 
Um, but yeah, so <clears throat> not only are Arsenal giving up like one and a half goals against per game, they had those uh, early season ties against Chelsea and also against Manchester City. But like this weekend's game, they gave up nearly two XG at home to Watford. Something is deeply flawed in that in that defensive setup. Watford don't you know they're not you know the the profile of Watford throughout the start of this season has been like kind of fairly tight, fairly kind of in low XG on either side for most of their games. So the idea that they've kind of like created like good chances and a few of them, um, yeah, you're not you're not going to be way happy about that as an Arsenal fan. I don't like think. the hope when Emery coming in was that he would return to sort of previous um, you know Sevilla type clubness where basically they played a tight defense they were able to score and I think what, what we've been saying uh, Arsenal fans have often been saying like look I'll take high scoring this year I'll, I'll take you know sort of busyness as as uh, as he stabilizes the defense um, is it because of the personnel I don't know uh, is it because he's still trying to find like the right group of guys to to be able to to fill the roles again don't know but it, it's huge concern and man every time that I, I flag a concern Arsenal fans in my mentions are just like, shut up! You don't know what you're talking about. Look, just the only thing that counts is the score. Well, thank you, Alan Shearer, uh, for <laughs> for informing me of that. But we have like a long history of predictions on this show and on this website that say that you know usually the teams when they have some concerns about their shot volume or about their defense, like they will start to revert in the results as well as the statistics. So Arsenal fans. Uh, yeah, strap in. Like you, you may have some beatdowns to come. This isn't playing not very well against bad teams and getting the results. That's fine, but it doesn't bode very well for if you can't play well against the bad teams for when you come up against the slightly better teams. Watford are quite a good team. That's you know, let's not disrespect. Thank, them. thank you for correcting yeah, that they're, because they're, uh, we we've had some okay. angry people recently uh, <laughs> responding to things. We it's also an excellent segue into uh, what happened with West Ham fans on the site yesterday from me. Yeah, I don't know. West West Ham versus Man United. There are two ways of looking at this. Man, either Man United weren't very good, right? And saying that will get you arguments. Or West Ham were excellent and limited a poor Man United side. That'll get people to like you for that. They'll both both of those things are a poor Man United side. And believe it or not, if you're doing social media, it probably is going to get you more hits and more engagements if you talk about how poor Manchester United were versus how good West Ham were. Um, now, that's not to say that West Ham weren't good, and this is why we wanted to talk about this a little bit in this part of the segment. But the thing about that game that was interesting was like not only did, did West Ham actually dominate the expected goals numbers in the race chart, but like United just got outworked, like out-pressured, out-tackled. The possession was basically even, and, and they just... I mean, they showed up. That's about the best thing you can say about it. I've only seen the last goal once uh, on Artovich's goal, and I didn't even see a replay of it. But So forgive, forgive me if I'm slightly awry here. But it, it was one of those jaw-dropping, what the hell has happened there kind of kind of goals, where they just absolutely scythe through the middle of the defence and for a you know, relatively straightforward finish. It's like, where are the defenders? That was, that was, that was you know, it was just stuck, and uh, that kind of, like, stuck with me. Um, well, we've seen this before, right? When 
what what was interesting about Mourinho's um, Chelsea season was like you just kept waiting for them to pull up, right? They it's just like no, they wouldn't have quit on him, and they lost weird games, like in weird ways. Their stats didn't even look bad. It was just like nah, we're not gonna we're not gonna keep performing for this person. It, it was a funky thing. Um, you say that, that I think the first the first game of that season they drew two two against Swansea, and they they allowed a bunch of shots, something like eight or ten shots on target. And after the season prior to that, where they'd been good and like you know, it was immediately it was like, okay, what the hell happened there? And I don't quite feel like that's. I think what where this Man United uh, team is slightly different is I feel that uh, their general kind of like quality and um, what they're putting out on the pitch and the, the resulting numbers they're in is not that dissimilar to what it was last season it's just they got an insane amount of uh, the breaks last season like beating Man City 3-2 despite having five shots and you know these kind of things now they're, it feels like they're just getting the results that uh, you know me- relatively mediocre <laughs> numbers kind of dictate i.e. par um, and that said there do seem to be disharmonies uh, around the club, and allegedly things, things, yeah, allegedly. I mean, I'm, I'm it's not... not like James has bugged Jose Mourinho's phone. <laughs> no, and and I've, I'm less inclined to to read too much into what looks like a relatively mild training ground discussion with Paul Pogba <laughs> as to being a you know a kind of key factor, but. You know, the, the, things aren't all rosy in the in the garden, that's for sure. And, well, yeah, where does it go from here? I mean, they just they do need to pick up results. Like, um, I don't think so. I'm I'm content with this. <laughs> well, we were, I thought we were non-partisan, Ted. We we aren't. We're 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 slightly partisan. Slightly partisan. <laughs> I mean, the, the, we weren't even going to talk about my night, but the. In, I think it's interesting because, like, everyone, uh, the kind of fan base is like, right, if he goes, we want Zidane. And I, Zidane, I ain't Zidane, Zidane ain't coming. I ain't, that's not going to happen. It's, my point yesterday was like, he's lived his entire life in the Mediterranean. I, I thought James's read on this was actually really funny at the time. <laughs> and it's like, right, yeah, I'm going to go to Man United. Well, no, he probably isn't. The food's a lot better there than it used to be. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure he would have a fantastic lifestyle as Man United manager. I just don't necessarily think. Why would he? Why would he need that? You're Zinedine Zidane. You just won three Champions League. In a house or a you're hotel a, is the important question. <laughs> you're an absolute legend of the game. Like you can do no wrong, and you're going to go in there and try and clean up after Mourinho. I mean, you're going to have to really, really be motivated in some way. But then there, there aren't obvious people that you could get to go in at Man United. That's true. Because they, they had obvious you've... ones this summer that they could have signed. We talked about this in previous pods. Yeah, but yeah, the... and you've. You feel you know the gravitas of the role still requires that they can't just go in and just like give it gigsy or whatever. I mean, it's just weird. So who knows where all this ends? Mourinho is a freakish expert in getting himself fired from very large contracts, though. And at this point, it's enough of a pattern that it can't be by accident. (laughs) Might edit that. Oh no, you can't edit that. Come on, that's good. (laughs) One one might uh, infer that it's not by accident. I don't know. It, It happens a lot. Um, coming back to West Ham, which was the important part of this whole segment. Yes. What do we think? You know, because they they're on uh, two wins and a draw in their last three, plus a, a spanking of Macclesfield. Sorry, Macclesfield. Again, uh, we're in, looking at a work in progress, aren't we? A hell of a lot of players came in. Um, Pellegrini came in in the summer, and you know they looked bad to start with. 
again toughish kind of schedule but there, there just looks to be enough enough talent there apart from this weird midfield vortex where you just find it hard to think that like Noble and Wilshire can be be the the future like all around them there's there's enough talent there that can actually can actually probably just safely deposit themselves in mid table like normal but you know you don't I don't feel that there's anything about West Ham that means that they're they're going to get drawn into some kind of unlikely relegation spat. I I just I just feel like they. they I think it was just all about the midfield. We we kind of talked about that part in uh, in the earlier season, and we were taken aback slightly by by the early results, but also like, you know, I as a as a not a huge Jack Wilshire fan, I would have said that that particular midfield combination will get you in trouble, especially as a two, and not as a three. Um, yeah, it's not to say that Wilshire can't contribute in certain ways, but alongside Noble, without a lot of backup, like I think you'll you'll have troubles. Um, so West Ham don't look so bad; they're on a on a good little run. They've kind of pulled up a little bit, and yeah, you know, they they still have this massive squad. I don't think they loaned out nearly as many guys as I I thought they they probably should have, which means that there's a lot of loans that are happening in January, probably just to help save them some money. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? They have got a hell of a lot of players, and and yeah, who. West Ham's lineup, West Ham's first team. You know, you look at look at their squad here. They've got I mean, Chikorito hasn't even barely been on the pitch. You know, and Lucas Perez is kind of yeah, know, 142 free. minutes for one, 65 for another one. Like that's uh, those are some you know, big you can see that see them featuring more than that. And so yeah, they, it might take a little while for them to actually find their first team and uh, kind of kick on from there. I think. I don't know. I, I just think the way the way their manager sets up would always make them sl- slightly vulnerable. But they could be entertaining at the same time. And you know, they have got talented players like Anderson and Artovich and uh, such, and even someone like Mikel Antonio, who's you know he can bomb forward and get his head on something. You know, they're, they're, they've got options. They've got um, you know angles that they can pursue. Um, so we're not mean about West Ham, even if uh, it might seem that way sometimes. Um, they're probably just fine, and just yeah. fine is perfectly acceptable for right it now. Is. Uh, you it got is. a lot of work to do, though. Don't don't ever think that there's not a lot of work to do on that squad, and you know, ins and outs both. Who else we got, James? What else we got on the the topic list? I think that was it. That was it. That was done. Unless I'm missing something. Oh, I think we're all right. Uh, yeah. Apparently, there are Champions League games tonight. Yeah, there are. I think both Manchester teams are playing today, aren't they? So. That's United really versus Valencia should be a, quite a good oh, matchup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had something on site about that yesterday, but that's a that's, yeah. It's just not what you want if you're Mourinho right now. It's like some fiddly game against a Spanish side. He's at home at least. <laughs> well, that, that makes some difference. Well, City go to Hoffenheim with a with a must win. Actually, I mean, I wouldn't. I don't know if it's a must win, but they need a result at the very least. Uh, Leon are home to Shakhtar Donetsk, who often are quite difficult, but mostly in Ukraine. Um, the other other groups are, are kind of, you know, if you're interested in that type of thing. Tomorrow has some, some pretty pretty interesting... Napoli, Liverpool, Tottenham, Barcelona. I mean, you know, flip a coin. Which one do you want to watch? There's just some fun matches there. Yeah, I, I wish that they'd, they'd broken those up slightly different. And thankfully, they are breaking things up. Borussia Dortmund, Monaco, actually, so quite competitive. Yeah. Monaco flying completely under the radar this season. It's that, that League One has, has really been sort of sorting out. Um, Monaco have... Monaco probably have like a, one of the better talent lo- pipelines in Europe. They consistently put together a, a new team that's very competitive, but sometimes it takes a little a little while for them to find their feet because they often have like reasonable 
high turnover uh, when they're selling for, for big money. Uh, they're currently in 18th in League One right now, which is... <laughs> <laughs> this is news to <laughs> me. Said, flying under the radar for very specific reasons, because they haven't been very good so far. Meanwhile, Paris Saint-Germain with 24 points, 8, goal, or eight games, 27 goals, uh, plus 21 goal difference in, uh, in League One. So it looks like PSG and, uh, and Manchester City are, are the two dominant teams in Europe at the moment, plus the giant Spain, but we'll see. That's wild, honestly. I, I mean, you know, you try and keep an eye on as much as you can. You know, I had no idea that Monaco were 18th in League One. Really weird. But there we go. Like freakish almost. <laughs> that can't last. That can't last. But anyway, we'll, we'll, we shall see. All right. Well, I think we're good, Ted. All right. That's, that's our week, weekly podcast done. Thank you very much for listening to the Stats Bomb podcast. Uh, don't forget we've got free data on the resource center of our site. Uh, we're still updating the women's uh, Super League every single week, but sometimes it gets pushed to the a little bit later. Uh, because of just how busy the midweeks have been recently. But that will keep coming, and it'll come all throughout the season. Uh, there's also the World Cup data on there. If you like the Stats Bomb podcast, please tell all your friends to listen to us. And uh, check out StatsBomb.com for the best analysis on the internet in football. Salut, brother. Bye.